Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have a special guest coming from North Carolina, correct? That's right. Okay, cool. So just getting started in the last few years, basically 2018, this amazing woman ended up jumping into her first duplex with her husband, did a couple deals afterwards and realized like the nitty gritty of the small stuff wasn't for her, wasn't enjoying it. So really started stumbling across mobile home parks, got the love from that. And for mobile home parks later, starting right in the middle of COVID, like not even in the middle, like right in the beginning, April 2020, jumping in to their first mobile home park. At this point, they have four parks, 113 lots, just incredible turnaround from working corporate and working at Capital One. I don't know if you want to share that or not, but or if they care, but I personally love credit stuff. So I want to pick your brain a little bit about Capital One. But regardless, it's really amazing seeing the entrepreneur spirit in you that, hey, you know, being in the big corporate box, that's not what I'm looking for. And not saying that's bad, like for so many people, that's a good spot to be in. The benefits, the 401k, all these retirement plans, whatever. But you realize that wasn't what your heart was kind of bringing you towards and you wanted something bigger and better. And, And here you are now. So I'm very excited to have you on. What's up, Amanda? How are you today? I am great. It is sunny here, which we haven't had in days. So I'm very happy to see that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate you jumping on. So talk to us for all the listeners out there, like by all means, do you mind just sharing that 30,000 foot view of who you are, where you're from, what you're up to today? Yeah. So I grew up in a totally traditional household as far as money and whatnot. So my mom retired from a public school system. So I did the same sort of thing. I got my undergrad in chemistry which I did nothing with. I was on being an analyst up in DC doing war gaming for a Oh, you're smart. You're like real smart then, huh? Like book smart. I grew up like book smart, but that doesn't help you as much in the business world, right? So that's like totally different. Those are totally different. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I was doing that. And then I, I got my master's in applied statistics. And that's when I hopped down to Capital One and started working there, climbing the ladder for a decade. So I was managing a team of analysts there until about a year ago is when I actually left. And while I was there, I loved it. Like no hate on them. That's a great company. If anybody's looking for a W2 job, sure. I just realized it wasn't for me. I wanted to build my own thing. And so we started investing in real estate after a year of one failed business experiment. So being bookstart does not only get you where you want to be in the business side. And so we started investing in real estate in 2018. You know, what's funny too, like a lot of colleges even have like a business class, right? And the teacher is teaching it, but they don't actually own a business themselves, right? right, It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. So just because you're, you're good book smart and very high IQ and you're learning everything that they're teaching you in school doesn't necessarily set you up for the real world or business or the entrepreneur spirit, right? So Oh, yeah. I want to hear about that. So you got your first deal in 2018. But what was that failed business? I want to hear more about that. 
yeah, we tend to, to learn it. a lot from the failed, right? you know, so what much. we go through. Oh gosh, so much. So it was a gender reveal business. You know, if when you're having a baby, you may see the cannons and whatnot. So we were selling that and it was fine. It was starting to take off and the product ended up being unsafe. So public safety announcement, just don't use those cannons. They're not safe. Like the pieces can come apart. They're really, really bad. Oh, really? And so, yeah, fun story we, when you we, own a business like that. Yeah. Not good. We've actually been honored to like a couple of our mm -hmm. friends asked me and Jennifer to do it several times yeah. for them. No, we good. did too. Yeah, no, not good. Not, not a good okay. thing. Um, and so we had to shut it down. And this was like 10 months in. I mean, it was, I did every single thing myself. I didn't hire anybody. That's why it took so long to fail. I could have failed way faster had yeah. I like hired people and got it going. But yeah, so that was fun. And then we got into the real estate, which I was always interested in. And, you know, just learned a lot about it, bigger pockets and whatnot. We bought a duplex, we fixed that up, we got tenants in place, that was going well. We did a burr next. And that, you know, it was fine. It took three months to do a three week renovation because we were managing a contractor yeah. who yeah. didn't show up and, you know, yeah. whatever, all those things. Been there. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we just never, we didn't do it long enough to get good at it until we were like, you know what? Single family houses is going to be too slow for what we want. Like, yes. it wasn't just wealth building for us. Like, we knew we wanted to leave our W 2 jobs. That's good. And so, going one house at a time, making, $200 in cash flow per house net, like that wasn't going to do it. Yeah. So we got so, into so that's, that's very good. Like, you know, identifying what the end goal is and realizing the plan that you set up in front of you that you thought was going to work, it's really not going to work. It's going to take way too long. It's going to be a headache in between. So, yeah. was there any friends, family members, or somebody that kind of planted that seed in you for real estate? Because you said that you kind of had a bug for it. You always wanted to get started, but what inspired that? Yeah. My parents never owned a any investment real estate they only sure. own the house that they live in but when i was in college i was living in this townhouse with four girls living in a four-bedroom townhouse the people we were renting it from they had a child who had just graduated yep they had been renting it to them and i'm like okay i was just running the numbers on it i could see how much they were going for and we were paying like 400 a bedroom and i was like there's a lot of extra here this is yeah. really interesting I just kind of filed it away as so, hey, like maybe one day I'll look into this again. I love it. Yeah. So and it's just, you know, it's common sense. Like you're a smart girl. You're, right. you're realizing like, wow, the numbers right here. It looks like there's some extra. And, and right. Like yeah, that. there's some extra. I here. like it. The yeah. extra part. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That sounds good. So, okay. So after the first, second deal, like, you know, it, you realize these single family houses, the residential multifamily, it's really not what's going to take you to that end goal. So then what? So we started doing individual mobile homes. There's something called a Lonnie deal. You basically buy a home for a good price, just like you would any other single family home, somebody who needs to sell. You pay for it, you buy it, then you turn around and you sell it to a family who's gonna live there and you're the bank. You have the note on it, you didn't do any work to it, and then we're the bank. So you're super passive, you're just getting the income from the mortgage that they so are paying. Seller financing, basically. Yeah, you seller okay. finance it. And those were at 18% interest, those notes. And so it was like, okay, well, you're making money because there's a spread between what you sold it for and what you're buying it for. Any money that they're paying to you is at 18% interest. So this is a really good gig. So we did a handful of those. And then we wanted to go bigger again. Yeah. So that's when we started looking at parks. So 18% interest, how did you come across that? And you were buying the property yourself, yeah. cash or financing yeah. it, probably a lot less interest, right? So then you're arbitraging. 
Exactly. So we bought our first one. I think the guy wanted 22,000. It was a nice, like early 2000s mobile home. We got him down to 15,000. I think we paid him 12,000. And then the other 3,000 he financed for us at cool. no interest over yeah. two years. And then why not leverage? We sold it. Yeah. <laughs> why not? We sold it for 25,000. The woman who bought it paid us 5,000 down and she had a $20,000 note at 18% interest. So she was paying us, I don't want to say like $370 a month or something like that. And it was supposed to be a seven year note. She ended up paying us off after like two and a half, three years. Love it. So is that very typical to have the 18% interest in mobile homes park space? Okay. Yeah. So with used mobile homes, it is, it's really hard to get financing on pre-owned mobile homes. And if you're not doing a credit check, like the companies who are may require 30% down or even 40% down. And so if I were doing it again, like I would probably do like 15, 16% interest, something like that. But yeah, you expect to get much higher interest rates because it's a riskier product that you're selling there. Okay. So to have somebody qualify for this, is there a background check or I mean, is there a credit check? We did no credit checks. We did background checks and proof of income that they made two and a half times what they were going to have to pay. These were in mobile home parks where you have to pay lot rent. So their lot rent plus their payment to us, they needed to be making two and a half times that. Um, And so those were the checks that we ran. And I think we did five of those overall. Some people just paid in cash. So we ended up just flipping them. Some became notes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then so you actually had the whole parcel, right? The whole park. And then at that point, just that one home, we didn't even own the land underneath it. We just owned the home. Okay. And then so that's one of the things about mobile home parks. The park may own the homes or they may own just the land and infrastructure and the residents own their own homes, which is the model that we like and the model that we have in our parks. Okay. I like that. So originally you're going to mobile home parks that they actually own the lot, like the, what are they called? The plots or? Uh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. They own the and ground, they, basically. They the own land the ground. And the infrastructure. Yeah. And then sometimes they're like a, a concrete or just dirt, you know, little area. And that's what they can lease out to you. And then you can basically just arbitrage and you can put your your home there and rent it out to somebody else. Or you get can. So, yeah, you can. In this case, we the home itself was owned by somebody else. He he was a little entrepreneur himself. He was cool. like, my company's paying me to come rent this out to people. So he was taking rent from his friends and like having his company pay for it. And then his company stopped moving him to that city. So he was okay. like, well, I need to sell this quickly. So then we came and bought it straight from him. And we paid the lot rent to the park one time while we owned it, while we were reselling it. And then whoever bought it from us, she started paying the lot rent to the park. Cool. So what inspired you to go down the, I wouldn't say the rabbit hole, but the niche for mobile home parks? Because there's so many different ways to get started in real estate, right? You could be doing big multifamily, you know, residential, fix and flips, wholesaling, like all the popular things that all the gurus are doing online. Why mobile home parks for you guys? Was there anything that stood out the most or connections, books? Totally. Okay. So it was really a bridge from those Lonnie deals, which Bill Cook, if you haven't heard of him, he's an amazing creative deal structurer, right? And I've just latched on to him. I love him. I call him every few months. Like We keep in touch. He was the one who originally told me when he came through Raleigh back in, I don't know, 2018, 
about this thing called a Lonnie deal and I'd filed it away. And then when we were looking for something new, we thought we would try that. And so it's really Bill's fault that we yeah. got into mobile home park. Blame on Bill. Thanks a lot, right? Bill. <laughs> you <laughs> set me up for massive wealth. I love it. <laughs> Damn it, Bill. So we, you know, we did those. We wanted something bigger and that was familiar to us. We knew yeah. that space. We're like, well, let's go to parks. And there yep. are four things that I love about mobile home parks. I mean, first of all, you already hit on one when we started. There's a massive shortage of affordable housing yes. right now. And mobile home parks specifically fit that affordable housing niche. And in fact, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition puts out this gap report every year. Yep. Their latest said there were 36 available and affordable low-income homes for every 100 families who needed one. Oh, yeah. Massive shortage of affordable housing. And it's getting um, worse and worse. So it's like worse and worse. So crucial. This is perfect. Yeah. Builders are stopping building. There's going to be a bigger shortage in housing. Um, so that's one piece. Then there are like we're value add investors like you are, right? Yep. We want to buy something and then go in and improve it and get that immediate equity gain. Yep. There are a lot of opportunities to do that in mobile home parks because mm -hmm. a lot of parks are still owned by the families who created them a decade or two decades ago. And haven't so they're done not, anything. Yeah. They're not <laughs> optimizing little. it. They're just, they're making that cash flow. They don't need to optimize it to make the highest net operating income to make sure. it worth the most money, right? Yep. Um, so there are a lot of value add opportunities. The returns actually tend to be better than multifamily. A lot of people will go from single family houses to small apartment buildings and to bigger apartment buildings than that's a, you know, a traditional kind of range that people move in. Well, yep. if you look at how commercial real estate is valued, it's based on this thing called a cap rate, which without yep. getting too technical, basically mobile home parks trade for higher cap rates than apartment buildings. So the same income you're buying, you can get for less money with a mobile home park than for an apartment complex. Yep. And you do have to do more work for it. So there's a trade-off there, but the returns are better. Fourth thing, the number of them is actually dwindling, right? They're being turned into higher and best use of the land, which in most cases, or in many cases, especially in cities, is not for a mobile home park. So even though they're becoming more and more necessary for affordable housing, the number of them is actually declining. So there are lots of things that we really like about the asset class. What is the best use, for example? I wouldn't even know. Like, what are people just building brand new homes there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Townhomes. Okay. We got free homes last year that we infilled into one of our parks because a park was being torn down to build townhomes there or yeah. an apartment complex or whatever it might be. I love it. So, how are you getting these leads? You know, how, how did you get the couple of deals that you got and what kind of sizes are these these parks? We have a cute we have a big range. So our smallest park is eight lots, our okay. largest park is 52 lots. Okay. We have a bit of a range in there. We have an off-market funnel. So we do so far we've done six total parks and they've all been direct to seller off-market. We have somebody who helps us with that and then you know, and that works out really well, you know, for us, obviously we can build the relationships. We're yeah. in the Carolinas and it, and it works out for us. It works out for our investors because we can go see these parks. We can build relationships with the owners and yep. and we're not flying in from California like a lot of yeah. people who are investing in parks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So basically you just built up a relationship with brokers over time and you started getting them to, you know, send you the cherry pick deals. Sellers directly. We we, oh, we have it totally off market. Okay. So we've gone direct to sellers. Now, 
I do reach out to brokers. I can't wait till I can buy a deal for one. I really want to. I just haven't found one that works yet. Sure. Yeah. I mean, usually you can get more creative, a a better deal in, in so many different ways without the agents involved. So going straight direct, any tips or tricks on how somebody just getting started could do exactly the same thing and reach out to these sellers to work directly with them off market? Yeah. So particularly if you're looking for your first park and you want a small one, these are not competitive. An eight lot park or 15 lot park, there's just not a ton of competition. I'm not searching for those. None of the bigger players are searching for them. So if you see one, just find the owner, just like you would with a single family home. It's in the county information, right? So you just go look up the owner. You can look up their information. We usually use white pages to go find their number. And then we just call them. So if you drive by one, you can even call the counties and you can ask them for a list of mobile home parks. And sometimes the counties will give it to you. So you can, you know, make your list and you can just start calling or mailing or whatever you would be doing for single family houses. You can do the same way. Yeah. What's really awesome is like, it is a very dedicated niche, right? It's not like I'm looking up a bunch of apartment buildings, although you could do the same thing. You could do single family houses, you could do any of these niches. And but mobile home parks definitely stand out, I feel like. So you can get that list of all the mobile home parks within that zip code, that location, that area. And then it really just comes down to the public records, finding out the entity or the owner that actually owns that parcel. And then it's very simple to skip trace and find that even with just a simple Google search nine times out of 10 or paying a couple bucks to skip trace and get the raw data that you're looking for. And then it just comes down to persistence and, you know, um, and following up, you can have a VA do it, get SOPs together, a template together of email, of text, of call, of mailing, and just some unique things to be able to really get in front of that seller and get them to give you a call back, right? Absolutely. You can do it just like you would with single family houses. And honestly, if it's your first one, I wouldn't spend all that money and create these massive systems. Like go find one, get one county's worth of stuff and just work that yourself. Just call it, right? A lot of times you can get caught up in building these systems when if you don't even have one property yet, you don't need to be spending all of this money on a system. You just need one property. And so I would definitely recommend starting small at that. I love that. I'm very big advocate on simplifying real estate. Like a lot of people out there make it confusing or the individual trying to get started, they're like, oh, these moving pieces. And it, it's very simple. You're really just getting a beat up, distressed property, doing the value add to it, getting the creative financing, running the numbers, making sure that it adds up at the end of the day, refinancing it or selling it in the long run. So it, it doesn't need to be that complicated, but I love it. So just focus on one zip code, one location and hit them hard. What kind of learning curves have you come across in the mobile home park space? I've had other investors on talking mobile home parks. I think the the stigma out there too, potentially, or at least in the past, let's say, mm-hmm. because I think the last couple of years, just like you said, it, it is more affordable. It's needed. There's mm-hmm. good people that are moving into these. There's like, it's not all like meth dealers or like, you know, some crazy <laughs> stuff right. going on. Right. But yeah. what could that uh, brand new person getting started possibly anticipate? Yeah, so there is definitely a, a learning curve. And honestly, I talk with my investors a lot about this. Because yeah. I was just talking with one of my investors who invested with us on our last deal. And she was like, what is a mobile home park? I'm going to Google this. Just look at They're everywhere. Yeah. You can go find them. Like, Go drive through one so you understand what this is. Yeah, um, that's sheltered. I love I think, it. 
right? I'm like, yeah, obviously you haven't lived that hard of a life if you don't know what a mobile home park is. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is the infrastructure. Yeah. A lot of these parks will have septic systems. Some will have well. So really understanding that infrastructure and how to do due diligence on it. Like you want to pump the septic systems. You want to pump those tanks and have, you just have the person who pumps them look in and they can tell you, is the tank cracked? You want to yep. walk through the drain fields and figure out, is it soggy? Does it smell like sewage? These things you need to do. So really coming up to speed on the due diligence piece of mobile home parks is really important because in commercial real estate, like that type of stuff can sink you. And especially in mobile home parks, you're behind the infrastructure. Oh yeah. Like that is what, that's what a mobile home park is. That's what yeah. makes it different from land is having the sewer, water and electrical hookups. So you really need to understand that piece pretty well. So with that piece, is there typically just one or two or is it individual for each? How does that work? Yeah, depending on when the parks are created, it can be one to one, which means one septic system for one home or the older ones will have like four homes to one system. Okay. And so, you know, it, it totally depends. And that's not a deal breaker. You have to, you know, you have to pump them more often if there are four homes feeding into one. Their septic tanks are basically rated off of the number of bedrooms in a home. Yep. So, um, you know, just depending on that, you just want to be aware of what you're getting into. And some of the parks have city water and city sewer, right? If they're closer into cities, which is ideal, that's the best case scenario. And a lot of times you just don't get that. Yeah. I bought a property in New Jersey, a single family house for some family members this past August. And part of the due diligence was that it, it did have a septic tank and the inspection for it. And like, I think updating something or cleaning something, it, it was roughly around a thousand bucks, maybe definitely under 1500. So, you know, and that's, that's probably just location specific. I'm sure they're in yeah, different that's really areas. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for one system. Yeah. I expect to pay about 275 for okay. one system to be pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, okay. So then obviously knowing the resources to be able to check out multiple and pumping and all that stuff, it's very important. Electrical wise, um, is it just like one, I guess, I don't, I don't even know what that would be. I never, I never it's went through ups. that process. Yeah. It's just hook it, You're hooking up. You're, it's literally like plugging in. So sure. you want to make sure the panels are in good shape. So really, you don't have to be an expert. You hire an electrician yeah. and you have them walk the park with you. It literally only costs like a hundred bucks. Yep. They inspect every panel and they tell you if it's in good shape or what upgrades need to be done and how much that's going to cost. Yeah. Very simple, right? It's not rocket science. You know, there, there's yeah, I'm not so an expert. Many. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell you what needs to be done. I just know to hire the person, right? Yes. That's good. I love it. What other like learning curves have you gone through or things that people should just be aware of besides the electrical and and plumbing and so forth. There's a big difference between park-owned homes and tenant-owned homes. So that is something like you can get more money for rent if you as the owner of the park also own the homes. Then it's a more standard rental. It does it's basically just like you're renting a single family house. You own sure. everything, you take care of everything. They come in, they have their lease, they leave, you fix it up for the next person. Yep. Now you can also do the model where the residents own their own homes, which is called tenant-owned homes. And that's a more streamlined model from the park owner perspective because I'm not dealing with leaking toilets. I don't have to deal with changing carpet or painting in between tenants. The residents own their own homes. And so understanding the difference. And when you are looking at a park, like 
if you find a park on the residential MLS, that's actually a good spot to find a mobile home park because any professional investor is not listing their mobile home park there. And so that might be a good opportunity. And it's good to know, like, does that owner own the homes or just the lots and knowing what to expect for, for rents then and how they change. That's good. What type of cash flow can people anticipate or expect? That's so, so hard. What kind of I mean, gosh, our biggest portfolio is two parks that are 75 lots. Okay. We pull, let's see. So we charge, we're about, we just upped the rent. So it's going to be $300 a month per lot. And we end up pulling about, let's call it 9,000 per month that we pull for ourselves. Like after, expenses after reserves after management yeah after our other business stuff there's not really like a standard of per door like you know you want your like hundred dollars per door it's more you want to do it on income minus expenses and then assume there's like a 40 percent expense ratio yep right so if you're getting a hundred thousand dollars of income and then you have forty thousand dollars in expenses i would assume that is a rough estimate Mm -hmm. then you can assume your net leftover is 60,000 and then you're going to have your mortgage after that. So that's how you can really get back to what you're going to be in your cash flow, but it is so different depending on park owned or tenant owned or bigger parks are more efficient than smaller parks. So yeah. there isn't really like, you know, I wouldn't one go size with one cash all. flow, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about financing. I know a lot of these you're they're all really off market. So are you getting more creative financing? strategies, the seller doing seller financing with you guys, and then you you kind of arbitraging that? You can. So our last park, we purchased, we were going to have seller financing, and then we ended up negotiating a lower price um, due to some stuff we found in due diligence. So he yeah. was like, I'm good with that, but let's do traditional financing. So that, you know, that's fine. That kind of stuff happens. So you can, there's a lot more opportunity for that. Sure. I think in general, right now, there's a lot more opportunity for that. As interest rates have gone up, yep. as sellers still want their price, that's how they can get their price, right? Is by trading off that. Um, but yeah, you definitely can get seller financing there. But banks are more open to it. So don't go with a big bank. Don't go to Wells Fargo or anything yeah. like that. You want to go with a local bank. You want to make sure you're going with a bank that already has at least one mobile home park on their books. Otherwise, you really run the risk that their underwriter is going to say no at the last minute. Um, but I would go with local, small-ish banks that have a presence in your state. And a lot of times, as long as they have a mobile home park on their books, then they'll be good to go. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, we always promote the small local banks. They're going to get more creative with you versus the big banks. Obviously, just like you're mentioning, because of where we are in the market right now and having interest rates a little bit higher right now, the sellers still want their price. So if they want their price, then what you can focus on as a brand new investor is really focusing on the terms, right? Or a seasoned investor, like anybody that's, it's either price or terms. So if the seller won't budge off of the price, focus on getting creative with the terms and you can do low down payments, you can have them carry back, you can do that 3% annualized, you could do 0%. There's some crazy things that people are doing out there to get really creative, but still give the individual their overall price that they want and they won't budge off of. So I'm a big advocate of getting creative. And when there's a will, there's a way. So you can always 
make it a win-win scenario and both succeed with this. Talking about local banks, you come from the big bank business, you know, talk to me, is there any data points uh, that you can share with us when it comes down to uh, like Capital One or uh, because you worked there for what? Uh, a while, Almost right? Almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you well, have cards with you... them? I'm assuming, right? I do. I okay. do. Our personal one is with them. We have Venture X, and then we are we have Spark for our business ones as well. I am loyal. Yeah, I am loyal. <laughs> I love it. Do you travel hack at all with those? Not really. Okay. No, I don't. I, well, I guess now with our Venture X, we should get. I don't know what is it like. $300 a year in travel credits or something. Yep. Basically, it's like worth the annual fee, whatever it is. So, but we uh-huh. haven't really done any like travel hacking. I know you do that. Uh-huh. Do that. Cool. Anything that would be beneficial for a listener to, to know, like when they are applying for Capital One or any data points that would be beneficial? I know I'm throwing oh, you on the spot man. here. <laughs> Gosh. So I, I was focused on the profitability of every okay. credit card customer. So I've had this whole system that we managed to figure out the profitability of like me as, yeah. a, <laughs> as a card holder and everybody else. So I don't know much on the credit side, but I mean, they have a whole, what they call main street product, right? So if there are people listening who may not have the best credit right now, that is actually where Capital One kind of came up. So that's their bread and butter. So I would definitely not hesitate to reach out and you may be able to qualify for one of their products. And then they like to like work with people to get them up to their prime products over time. For sure. And it's turned into an advertisement for Capital One. So they should be paying me, I think. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to reach out and be like, hey, you want to sponsor this show or not? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right, Amanda, I appreciate it so much. I'm very excited for you with where you guys are at, where you come from to where you're at today. In just a short amount of years, you guys are crushing it and very uh, focused on the end goal here. What does the next couple of years look like for you guys? Yeah, so we're definitely buying more parks. I also really like non-residential commercial buildings. So I've yep. been looking a lot for like non-residential real estate and continuing to help our passive partners. Like we have investors who come and invest passively with us because they don't want to do the hard work of finding yep. parks and managing parks. And you know, I had an investor who invested with us for the first time last week. <laughs> she messaged me and was like, this is the best thing ever. Like I'm getting money and I'm not doing anything for it. Yes, this is great. So helping more people do exactly that. I love it. Awesome. Well, Amanda, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. So our website is voyageinvesting.com. If you're interested in the passive opportunities that we do have, make sure you go there and join our investor circle. I post a lot about active and passive real estate investing on Instagram. So follow me at investing with Amanda. I love it. Well, I appreciate you so much for jumping on today and giving your time for myself and all the listeners. It was just an immense amount of knowledge here. I got a book full of notes here. So I'm very <laughs> thankful. Guys, you should definitely reach out to Amanda um, and pick her brain about mobile home parks. She is a wealth of knowledge and can definitely help get you either started or even partner up and, and do some deals together. So um, if you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always do so at Brandon Elliott Investments on Instagram. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. And then if you're really looking to get knowledge, like get true education from Credit Council Elite, we teach business owners how to be able to get up to $500,000 every six months at 0% interest. 
So if that would benefit you greatly to be able to grow, scale your business and to be able to take down more deals and afterwards travel hack, purchase properties with credit cards, fix credit if needed, personal and business, get to the 800 club in less than 30 days, then check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And you can book a free call with someone on our team, either myself or someone on our team to be able to go over your particular situation where you're currently at your goals and to see if it's the right fit. Till next time, guys, make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. You'll get the newest notification every single Monday. Leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate like wholeheartedly all the amazing views that we've got, all the amazing feedback and all the subscribers. I appreciate you guys greatly. You guys are amazing. Share this out to somebody that needs it, business partner, significant other, friends, family, and we will see you on the next episode. Till next time, Amanda, once again, appreciate you. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me. God bless, guys. Peace. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.